and welcome to this episode of Introspectional. On this episode, we are talking about vampires, class, and the presentation of privilege. So I'm super excited about this topic. I've actually been thinking about this and just like, what do vampires mean? And just all of the stuff. So to help me, I have two incredible guests. They will introduce themselves. So Adyarsi, could you go first? Sure. Hi, everybody. My name is DRC Charrington-Neal. And yes, I know it sounds like a well-to-do white person on As the World Turns, but, you know, my mama was being real cray. I am a second-year doctoral student at The Ohio State University, and I study composition, rhetoric, and Afrofuturism, and uh, specifically look at erasure of disability in, like, Afrofuturistic worlds. So basically, he's just a boss who's really, really smart, and we love him for it. Uh, Anya, can you go next? Yep. So my name is Anya McClish. I am one of the members of the fabulous Quartastic. I am also a staff therapist at Drexel University, making sure that students are maintaining their mental health, especially Black students during a pandemic slash racial injustice slash civil unrest slash whatever the heck previously on 2020 is doing to us right now. (laughs) Awesome. And, and you also mentioned that you are a editor-in-chief, right? Yes, I am an editor-in-chief for the Literary Revolutionary, which is a Black-owned publishing company in Georgia who really emphasizes publishing Black work, specifically by Black women, and making sure that we're having like both nonfiction and fiction out there and that the Black voice isn't just focused on struggle stories, that we really have other stories So I am so excited for that. And we will come back to some of the other publishing things that you're doing probably at the end of the episode because everyone doesn't know how fantastic you are. But uh, let's uh, just jump in and get started. So I wanted to ask you both first, when was the first time in books, theater, or film that you encountered the vampire? So this is probably like a really weird way of thinking about this, but it it does technically count. My answer to this would be in in video game format. The first time I ever came across a vampire was Legacy of Kane, uh, Soul Reaver. Literally, it is my screen name to this day. It imprinted on me so deeply as a person because Razio, the main character Razio that you play is like, he is a vampire in a world filled with vampires that when the you know when the story actually opens he's murdered because he dared to evolve faster than everyone else in the world and basically on virtue of him being extra they killed him for it and so the the game opens like this and as a dead body you are brought back to life by god to avenge yourself and i was like can you imagine like 9 year old me Dealing with something that is that layered and that nuanced and that complex in the year 1996. And like, I was just kind of like, what in the hell? And so like, basically as a character, you're this vampiric, you're a vampiric spirit that goes and feasts on other spirits and you can eat humans and monsters. And he learns basically that like, you know, like being a vampire and like, absorbing and eating everything is destructive and um, then you find out that you know god is lying to you and that there's a whole it gets very meta very meta but i was just enthralled like it was so dark and my parents literally were side-eyeing me the whole time and they're just like mm, should we have done this like my dad gave it to me for my birthday and probably regretted it like <laughs> Two or three. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Yes, I I was obsessed. Razio was on my walls. It was what I drew. I still love that game to this day, and it deserves a remaster. If anybody at Sony PlayStation is listening, it deserves a remaster, and people have been craving it for almost thirty years. So please, I beg you. I think the real question is, how's the soundtrack for the video? Oh, amazing. Just, just amazing. Like, yeah, I, I don't know how to describe it, but I, I mean, literally in terms of like vampire, it's not what people typically think of, but I mean, this dude, he was a vampire. Literally the whole game operates with you moving in between the spirit world and the physical world at will. So he can do either of those things and can eat everyone. I just kind of was like, wow, like 
this is so not Bram Stoker's Dracula. <laughs> like, what is this? Absolutely not. Like, it reminds me a little bit more of like The Crow and a little bit of Constantine and just like those characters who can move between realms of spirit and, and the idea that like the realm of the spiritual, whatever you define it as, particularly in fiction, it might be just as complicated and just as messy as ours, which is completely antithetical to the idea that, you know, once you reach the realm of spirit, everything's cool and peaceful and everyone gets along and everything's fine. And you're like, no, no, there's like a, a war, people are lying to you. Someone can still get murdered even though you're already dead et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. And I mean, I think even as you were talking about the, you know, I know that this episode is about privilege. I didn't even think about it until I said it. Soul Reaver is about privileged. Raziel, but like I said, he evolved. Like he was just different and he was murdered for it. Like they literally could not stand that he was better than the Lord of the world. Like, you know, the Lord of the vampire. Like he, he did absolutely nothing wrong and it doesn't matter. Like it, they just couldn't deal. And so- you know, this idea that like you dare to enter a space where you are not wanted. I mean, I that's my whole life. That has been my life since the day I was born. And just this idea of being a black person who also has cerebral palsy, who is also a doctoral student and has worked for NASA and presidential administrations and, you know, and, you know, is doing all of these things, has lived overseas a couple of times, been, been to 22 different countries. Like the idea that a wheelchair user who has a considerable disability and who the general public would label as trash. And I have been told that to my face that, you know, as a black disabled person, I am the bottom of the bottom. For, for people to suggest that like, you know, I dare to take up a space where I demand respect and, and you know, to be considered, you know, that just, that's the whole game. That's what the game is about. And I mean, it comes from a different place, but that that resonated with me from day one and I got it immediately. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I've never forgotten it. We're just gonna sit with that for a minute. <laughs> but also continue dropping the accolades for everyone to know out here, like, well- Not at all. I was literally just making a point. <laughs> His Venmo, Cash App, and PayPal are. <laughs> we are just here for DRC in these streets, always. Y'all wanna support a doctoral student out here. I mean, is he- well, we are going to hold that in our special box and we will open it in a couple of minutes. But in the meantime, Andre, you can also answer that question. So it's the first time you encountered vampires that you remember in books, movie, theater, film, or video games. If I'm not mistaken, and this was well before my teenage long vampire face, I believe my first encounter was with the TV series Angel. So the spinoff of Buffy, because my mom is a huge Buffy fan. She likes kick-ass women who take names and happen to be fighting evil and mystical things. And for some reason, I didn't watch Buffy first. I think like back then, Angel was on at like 7 a.m. on TNT, and it was right before Charmed. So I would watch Angel and then Charmed. And... I don't know why I was even up at that hour. I can't explain that. I don't know how childhood me could just get up on a regular degular and be like, oh yeah, let me just watch this vampire show. But yeah, like- At 7 a.m. I'd be like, mom, wake me up at this hour so I can watch this show. And she giving me side eye, but nonetheless, I was up watching Angel and I still, I'm not sure to this day what, attract, what attracted young Anya to this brooding, vampire always complaining about how he's a tortured soul and no one's gonna love him and he has to make up for the sins of the past when literally Spike is right there. Spike and his blonde badass self who doesn't give a flying whatever about what people think about him, what he's done in the past. He's just living his best vampire life. But for some reason I had a crush on Angel at the time. But now my reformed self, my reformed aesthetic goth self is like, Spike is who it is. But in thinking about that, that's how I thought about how in a lot of these vampire movies or TV shows, you have these two vampire characters, one who's like, oh my gosh, I've done these horrible things in the past and now I have to repent from them, either because they spent way too many centuries thinking about these things, or in Angel's case, he was former mass vampire serial murderer, Angelus, who was cursed by a group of witches, I'm not going to say their actual 
group name because it's a racial slur, but cursed by a group of witches to be like, you can't be happy because if you're happy, you're going to turn back into Angelus and you're going to regret it. So Angel had to live the rest of his life being like, I can't be happy. And the one moment I get happy, I turn into a murderous vampire who cares about no one's life. Meanwhile, Spike is just like, I'm here and I'm hot and I'm going to have a lot of sex and I'm going to take a lot of things and I'm going to drink a lot of blood. And this is the life that I live. And you see that in a lot of different vampire shows. Like you see that in freaking vampire diaries with Stefan being the angel trope of like, I'm brooding and I'm regretting being a ripper in the past. And Damon's like, I'm the hot brother who is doing whatever I want to whoever I want and whatever I please. And I'm not going to feel ashamed about it. But yes, Angel was a special time in my life. And then the series just like blew up in everyone's faces and ended in a weird apocalyptic, we're all going to die, but then we don't know if we actually die because the TV series ended. I've never seen Angel, but I guess I need to because that whole synopsis, like I only knew Angel because of Buffy. Like I've seen all of Buffy. Mm -hmm. I didn't bother with the spinoff. But now I'm feeling that like my life is incomplete and I need to I need to rectify this very quickly because wait a minute, wh what? Like I'm I, I enjoyed the spinoff and I think it's because if you rewatch Buffy, I love my girl. I do. But that is very painful to rewatch. It is very cheesy and it's like what is happening in this 90s, early 2000s capacity. But Angel, they still keep the fight scenes on point, like the action's really good. The romance, they try to squeeze that in and you're just like, eh. And then they do that weird vampire thing where you're like, a vampire had a baby, but that's impossible, but it's prophetic. And yes, because there's always some kind of vampire prophecy because vampires are special enough to have prophecies out here. Look, um, it just reminds me of Blade where they literally were like the pages of Lamagra and he said it smells like a vampire wiped his ass with it. Like the <laughs> Okay, I, I want to I want to rewind just a little bit because you know one thing that's interesting about Angel is Angel it, the the format of the show is still a sci-fi show, but it has that kind of like police procedural aspect of it because now Angel's a private detective. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Suddenly he has a job and skills which he never displayed before. I really don't know if you ever put that on a resume, but whatever. Yeah. Do um, vampires have resumes? Like, how do they just? Like if we think if we think for example Twilight right like Carlisle is the only one in the whole family that works he's a doctor so they just roll up in Washington did he have like this long resume of all the years that he's I mean, ever fair, worked if you came up in a place and was like I have lived for seven hundred years okay <laughs> okay you know, but, 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 you know, you know, a lot of things you but, know but here's the thing like therefore okay. Like there's a couple things. Okay, so like my vampire early vampires encounters was actually with the show Forever Night, which I would watch on the Sci-Fi Channel. Which actually, like the original one was like in '92 or something. But I was watching weird things at weird times in my you know tween years, as one does. And so, and but in similar storytelling capacity with. Forever Night and Angel, you had a vampire cop and that's what he's doing. But also you have him and his progenitor, LaCroix, who is like, I'm a vamp old ass vampire out in the streets and I don't give a damn, I don't give a damn him about humanity and it's what I do. And his like entire vampire society, which now he's outside of because he actually has a job. Which is another thing that I find interesting about the whole, like I said, kind of vampire privilege thing because it's kind of a, a almost a trope in my opinion that like these dudes don't work they've just mm -hmm. inherited all of their money and they hoard it and they keep it here so like the weird vampires are the ones with the job or the ones I mean, who, are, who are working in some actually, capacity I don't know it like if you're going to talk about this like a little later on but like it reminds me of Anne Rice and an interview with a vampire versus queen of the damned so like you know interview with a vampire is all about the first part of what you were talking about these are old ass vampires that have literally lived for like millennia you know like tom cruise and brad pitt and all of them literally don't work they're aristocracy from france and like they they just have money <laughs> like that is the resume money 
and like it just says the word money on a page and that's all they need because <laughs> no, they don't even say money they just got dollar signs like, that's just it they, they don't even have money it's wealth yeah well I, I was just about to say that I was just it is wealth it's not even money it's just wealth <laughs> and like they don't need anything else because they're literally aristocracy but then of course the whole point of that movie is the fact that like as the world has moved on wealth is no longer enough and like you have to become a person and like they don't know what that even means so then you juxtapose that against queen queen of the damned Lestat realizes that like to become a person he becomes a rock star Mm-hmm. And it's it's like okay, like what does it mean to be a person? You know, I guess I have to go out and do stuff. And you know, of course, in, in that movie or whatever, it was the early days of social media, where like, you know, the elusiveness of only going out at night made you even more like celebratorial. So like this idea that like, ooh, the rocker Lestat is like. In, uh, enigmatic like we only ever see him in the evenings like what does it mean and like people were saying like oh I bet he's a vampire but in like a cutesy way and not realizing that he actually is and was like ripping people's throats out but I feel like that's to your point you know it's like he realized to actually be something in this new current world where wealth is no longer a prerequisite of like existence I have to actually do something with my life and I feel like that's a side of vampirism that is not often discussed. It's like, everybody wants eternal life. Everybody wants the longevity, but once you have it, then what do you do? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, part of the glamor about all of this is the longevity, is the ability to have time. But that was literally the whole point of that movie. It's like, I don't have anybody to share this with. I don't, I don't have a bae. And you know the the bay he wanted was a homicidal maniac who literally wanted to end the the world. Um, rest in peace, Aaliyah. And that was like one of the finest things. I don't care what, how how people feel about that movie. Aaliyah killed that shit. She really did. And the reality is like yes, if if this is what happens when you live forever and ever and ever, and you eventually just devolve into a person who eats, <laughs> that's not life. Like compared to when you see characters in like Underworld who are just, their whole life is basically a battle between them and Lycans. And for the most part of all the movies, everyone is holed up in a castle and you just see them in like their fancy dresses or their fancy suits, all in black, drinking blood. And it's just like, what? It, that, that's it? The only <laughs> work that you have in that world is the like paramilitary. So if you don't Celine know- was like, I'm not about this life. I'm just out here to kill some Lycans. Like, and you know, continue the trope of vampires having a thing for leather, which ah, I don't know what that is. Like Angel has a leather coat cape thing. Like Celine is out here in her leather outfit somehow. Blade, all black, it. all black leather, everything. I mean, Lestat is know. a Lestat is a rock star, so of course he's wearing leather, like tight leather pants. Leather and, pants. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, you know, Damon's leather jacket that was like, "This is my vampire in charge outfit." I, I, mean, I don't know if leather is like the sign like of aristocracy or look, wealth for why, them. This is why I appreciate True Blood because they gave us vampires in denim. They gave us vampires and strip clubs too. (laughs) Yes, Yes, they did. I always find that whenever you have a vampire, especially a television show, it also inadvertently at whatever point in time becomes a period drama for either the entire episode or part of an episode. Cause we're like, what the fuck were you doing at this particular point in time? Because given your wealth, your appearance, your access, you could have done been doing some very questionable things. So let's talk and I find that interesting when that happens because usually that's a flashback to oh my god I did something terrible or oh my god I could have done something pretty good but it's interesting because I feel like the the humans that they're interacting with almost never they themselves don't necessarily seem to be students of history so usually it's, oh, I'm a vampire, I'm in my tortured state and I'm thinking, not my human companion. It's like, wait, 1865, end of the Civil War, beginning of Reconstruction. What the fuck were you doing in Georgia? <laughs> Look, oh, are we, we talk about Jasper from Twilight and how he was a Confederate soldier who's definitely racist or? Yeah. 
I mean, David was a Confederate soldier too, but like not only having a black witch who he's somehow connected to, no one questions him about that. Like, what the fuck? But okay, whatever. It's funny because the only movie that actually deals with that, and it was part of the reason why I liked it, was The Old Guard, and they're not vampires. The old guard, you know, they're immortals. And what I really enjoyed about Charlize Theron's character is that she recognized her responsibility as a person who literally is an immortal to like shape the course of history. So like, not only was she a student of history, she was helping to move the needle. Like that was the whole point of that film is that like there was a person who was charting her and like she was the one who like stopped the first assassination of Abraham Lincoln. She was the one who like ensured that like you know, this person would be at this place, like Nikola Tesla, while he was building electricity, like she was the one plugging in the, the, the plug, you know, like Charlie Theron was the one who was behind the scenes making sure that like people did what they needed to do to move history forward in like a decent way. Because if you're going to be immortal and you're going to live forever, then you kind of have a responsibility to ensure that that goes down, which is kind of what I thought the vampire council in Blade was trying to tell Deacon Frost that I felt, but they didn't articulate it in nearly an eloquent way. You know, their whole point was like, we exist here in our Hugo Boss suits and our Issey Miyake heels to really make sure that like the banks don't charge overdraft on the poor too much. You know, like our job is to ensure that the Consumer Financial Bureau remains like intact and deacon frost was like fuck the consumer financial bureau i just want to eat i just want to party everything needs to be a rave but i also think to your point Leticia, like if you're gonna live forever the next thing you have to do is like take a a history class for the next hundred years like to to really sit down and think about like what is my role now in shaping this new world if i'm gonna live for the next millennia then let's talk about black people and like how can we ensure that in a thousand years they are not being brutalized by the police. Like, like, who do we need to target? Like, let, let's talk about Roger Goodell. You know, aside from the fact that we rarely see black vampires, of course, who knows why? Like, acting like black vampires weren't out here in the civil rights movement, maybe, no. It was just these white vampires staying in their white vampire bubble. Like, Twilight spoke to this a little bit, like very vaguely, but this way of standing in time within themselves Like they just are in their own little world doing their own vampire things, whether it's like you said, having raves. For some reason, every vampire wants to go to a rave. Every vampire wants to chug blood like a four loco. Like every vampire out here, or they become serial killers. Like they're just out here uncontrollably eating everyone that they come across instead of actually participating in the things that are going on in the world. And I think True Blood makes that interesting just because it's one of the shows slash media presentations where vampires and humans are actively coexisting and like are aware of their presence. Whereas in these other TV shows, you would think the humans were in a world where they didn't know about vampires in lore in general. Like in Twilight, and I'm really ashamed that I keep bringing up Twilight as an example, but that was literally my teenage years. Bella yahooed, not even Google, vampires. Like, excuse me. Are you kidding me? <laughs> like, what is that? <laughs> you didn't just think, oh, yeah, he's cold and like he's been around for a minute and he can't answer my questions and he's really strong and fast. He must be a vampire. Like, no, she typed that in Yahoo and was like, I need answers. To be fair, let's just think about this realistically. I mean, this is also why I appreciate an interview with a vampire because the modern day, like the 1990s version, the interview that the dude was doing with the Washington Post or whoever he was talking to. It was like, okay, you meet this new dude. First of all, he only meets you in the evening. If you're on Tinder or Hinge or whatever, like he will never say, meet me at Starbucks at noon. So he will only meet you when Starbucks is about to close. So, okay, okay. I mean, that's not that weird, I guess. But then you do meet him if you do happen to like hug on him and realize that A, he's very cold. B, he kind of feels like stone, which by the way, Anne Rice's depictions of vampires, like I just want to throw out there that like, When I saw an interview with a vampire originally, I mean, I was very young, so I I wouldn't have seen it in theaters, but we watched it on VHS and I'm aging my damn self. I remember thinking like, okay, this is cool. I had no idea what they actually looked like. So Anne Rice, the way she talks about vampires, she describes them as creatures of living stone. And I didn't recognize that until I saw the Blu-ray. 
So years later, when I got the Blu-ray of Interview with a Vampire and we put it in, the very first scene, when the reporter comes into the apartment and Brad Pitt is sitting there in the dark and then he turns the light on and the reporter is like, oh my God. We also say, oh my God, because the Blu-ray shows you he doesn't even look human. Like I couldn't see that on the VHS, but in the Blu-ray, you can see the blue veins. He doesn't look like a human being at all. And I was thinking, how on earth did I miss this the first time? But technology and lenses and camera work wasn't as good. And so it, it almost, there is no way that they could be taken as human beings. <laughs> and Rice is Vampires, like in the real world, like if you saw a dude that was walking around looking veiny and blue, mm, I feel like some people, especially like if it's a black girl, they'd be like, girl, girl. That's your man? This who you choose to spend your time with in the evening? So I just, I, I appreciate the fact that at least Bella was trying to get answers. Like she went on WebMD being like blue veins everywhere, cold waxy skin. So like, you know, cause WebMD is not gonna come back with vampirism. Like that's, that's not gonna be the answer that they give you. But I, I do think that there is something to your point about why there aren't a lot of black vampires. I was trying to think about that and obviously it relates to the point that we're talking about. It's, if being a vampire is the personification of wealth, then we already know black folks don't have that. And the reality is, I mean, this is gonna, this is gonna sound racist, oh my God. But you know, it's like, I'm trying to envision Lestat in the 1990s being like, I wanna make a new vampire. Am I going to look at this black person on the street who lives across from me in my apartment? Like, let's imagine Letitia is across the street from him. And he's just like, mm, this black girl. Like, yes, like she would be delicious and I would enjoy it for that moment. But it's like, what could she really add to the coven? And that's mm. interesting. There's what we've seen in a vampire lore. There is the eating of humans, there is the taking of mates who still can be human. There's even the creation of thralls. But to join the vampire group in vampire society, it's told another thing, right? Because mm -hmm. like going back to, to Blade and the vampire council, they're like, yeah, we're just here to make sure that the money keeps flowing and humans are in our existence, blah, 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 blah. Again, you have that level of power and that level of ingrained power that's like the board of trustees at a university or like the folks at the golf club or Skull and Bones or whatever. Everyone at Mar-a-Lago. For <laughs> that. But basically it's like, these are the people who are keeping the mechanisms of their own wealth running. And then there's also who do they decide are worthy of being the vampiric son, child, daughter, whatever of this vampire lineage, right? And so if the, and I'm just thinking in the Westernized imagination of like what a vampire could be, you get the beauty, you get the wealth, you get the eternal life. And part of that idea of privilege is also, you get all of that without the responsibility. So if you turned, for instance, someone who was a slave in America into a vampire, what are you gonna get because the chances of them just running up and just fucking up the entire plantation system are high as hell. Are you kidding me? First of all, that would be an amazing movie. And yo, MK Jimmy, somebody <laughs> need to jump on that for real, for real. Because oh my God, like Anya, let's write that book. Like, let's go. Let's write that book. Take a note. Take it out, take it out, take it out. Matt Turner, oh right God. before they hang him, turns into a vampire. Yes. They ain't ready for yes. that. They ain't no oh one God. ready for that. <laughs> like, like right oh, before, like he already done the massacre. Yes. He done already been caught. They just ain't okay. killed him yet. And like two seconds before they kill him, bam, he's a vampire. I mean, the reality is, and this is this is going off on a tangent, but the idea is really intriguing because what if an abolitionist, like what if one of the abolitionists was a vampire? Harriet Tubman using them tunnels? <laughs> I mean, it's like you said, like, what are you going to get? Well, with Nate Turner, you would get somebody who can inspire people. It's like, you know that this is a leader. You know that this is somebody that already has the fire of rebellion. It's somebody who can literally change the world. I imagine that would be very attractive to vampires, to find someone who can actually turn the mechanism of industry in this country. Someone who can actually throw a stick 
into the cog of capitalism because Nate Turner was all about that. That was his life. So like, but that's unless he is a threat to your wealth. Well, that part, that's what I'm saying. It would have to be somebody who was on the low, like, like maybe a low ranking vampire who just decides I'm going to do this in secret because, and I don't want to tell anybody. And it's like, oh, surprise. (laughs) There's another person who is actually in our group. And it's Nate Turner. Like, it's this Black guy. And they're just like, what? Then you start getting into, I feel like Underworld dealt with it a little bit. This understanding of what happens when you just go off and be making new vampires with no consequence as to what that does to the, not economy. Vampire like economy. Society, like the vampire Yeah, they, I was thinking ecology. Like They the, do kind of have their own ecosystem. The ecosystem. Mm-hmm. The ecosystem. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's like, when you go off and make a new vampire... They're very much vampirism the idea is like the balance everything is balanced because obviously with too many vampires and not enough cattle <laughs> people they will starve to death and everybody will die so it doesn't work off that way which is what they were trying to tell deacon frost again in in blade it is his understanding of like they are very specific about who they pick usually they are very specific about the way that they do these things so i do find this to be really intriguing that if you were to attack someone like a slave and to do it kind of recklessly, you know, because I can imagine that they were probably, I mean, this is a wild speculation, but woke ass people, white people, not in the way that we think of them today, but back in the day, there would be like neo-abolitionists who oh, wanted to do something reckless, but didn't have the, the the power or the ability. So yeah, for them to sneak off and to bite like Nate Turner. Or John Brown. Yeah, the eve before their execution. It would be really intriguing because you have just, upended the ecosystem in a way that you have no idea and yeah but i don't know i just wanted to also add that there's a video game that talks about this that's very good it's called vampire you play a main character dr jonathan reed who they reimagine in the the pandemic of 1910 in london where people are dying of influenza the game opens with actually you're in a pile of dead bodies and you reawaken and end up biting your sister who came looking for you and killing her on accident and so the way that game operates is like they turned him, they attacked him because he was a doctor. They wanted his knowledge of, of viruses. And they realized that like vampirism unchecked would ruin the world. And they are using, the game is using the cover of the pandemic to keep all their secrets on the low. So like, you know, there are vampires everywhere in, in the city of London in 1910, biting everyone. And your job is to low-key eradicate them and also to like, figure out how to solve the pandemic while also not being detected. What's interesting about that game is that it's a series of decisions. You get to decide who you turn, who you don't, if you eat someone, if you don't. And every person has other people that are connected to them, just like in real life, they all have social networks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so like, if you kill that person and they go missing, then other people will start asking and questioning. And then it is very, the way that they do it is very interconnected and very intriguing. The game has problems, but from a story perspective, I was very intrigued by that because most vampire discussions don't go into that level of nuance, especially not on video games. Really, they're just like, go eat people. Well, I think that still speaks to the aristocracy of these vampire worlds, like making sure that your vampires are kept in check when it comes to making new vampires. Like there's a lot of intent when you make a new vampire as opposed to just killing them, right? like you're sucking them dry or, you know, there's a lot of different vampire abilities throughout media in order to change someone, but you change them in a certain way, you take them in as your ward or they're bonded to you, or there's some weird intimacy about it. And then you got to let the aristocracy know, like, hey, I did this thing, they're under my protection. Like in, you know, with the Volturi, who oddly enough have been around since before baby Jesus, which is still crazy to me. And they still wear in their ugly, old aristocracy guard, even in modern day, when you change someone, you got to let them know. They're like, oh, we'll send you a letter. Oh, you ain't changed that person yet that we really need you to change. We're going to have a problem. Or, oh, you told humans know about us? Like, no, you got to die now. Like really keeping in power what that vampire population looks like and who you are letting know about this vampire population, vampire population, if you will. 
I think it's so interesting. And one of the things that I thought about, because the very few vampires who you see portrayed as being poor or unattractive or with limited power, there's not many of them portrayed, but they are around and they kind of go back and somewhat and kind of like the, who was Dracula's like dude? Renfield. Thomas Renfield. Yeah, so they often end up kind of like this Renfield character. I remember even in um, Forever Night, they, I think his name was Screech or Scratch or whatever, but he looked a little more like Nesferatu and a little less like Count Dracula. But you kind of have this thing that if you do have this vampire who is not, you know, beautiful of the aristocracy or whatever, they are doing something wrong or they have been punished. So it's like, instead of eating humans, they're eating rats or something about the way their change happened was wrong. And so it just makes me think of how even in the society, those who are different, it seems are still looked down upon in the way that we've created, we humans have created this fictional society. So I just think that's just an interesting parallel of kind of like in the imagination of what it seems that vampires represent, there's definitely like I think this level of privilege and those who don't align with that are still dismissed both within the fictional world, but also in their lack of representation and creation. The only person that I can think of that goes in direct like contradiction to what you're talking about as a positive is Blade. Blade, the character represents everything that you just said, but instead of it being a negative, it becomes a positive. They talk about in the movie that people can track vampirism as a virus. Literally, Dr. Karen Jensen, played by In Bushwright, she came through as a hematologist, you know, who was literally studying blood. And I, once again, shout out to smart Black women, yes. And, you know, she was trying to explain that, like, vampirism, it's a literal virus that attacks, like, the immune cells and like, sucks out hemoglobin, all this kind of stuff. The thing is, the movie opens with his mom, pregnant, being bit by a vampire. She explained in the movie that, like, his version of vampirism is not like everybody else in the film. It's a part of his DNA. It's literally who he is as a person, which is why his variation of the thirst and all that kind of stuff is totally different. That said, I, I think this is a perfect segue for me to make about the fact of why I believe, and people get mad with me when I say this, but I'm going to keep saying it until I die, that Blade is a Black disabled icon. And I will say this forever and ever and ever and ever, because... Blaze vampirism is an immunoefficiency disorder, just like any other person that has one in the world. And the way that he deals with it is through medication, mm -hmm. which he receives from his Black barber. Like in relation to the fact that it's a team of Black people that are taking care of him, like we're talking about an ethos of care that is specific to the Black community in a way that is not, that doesn't ever come up in any other kind of vampire story that I've ever seen. You have this network of people who are basically taking care of him, at least in the first movie. I mean, you want to start talking about the second movie where he expands it out and there's more white people involved. But, you know, really the original film, which is the best of the three, is about this person literally called the Daywalker, who his, the whole point is that, Leticia, as you said, his version of vampirism, he doesn't look like the regular vampires in this world. He isn't you know, white and pasty and thin and, you know, he can't go to those rave parties <laughs> like everybody He still does. wears the leather though. <laughs> no, he does still wear the leather, but it's, but it's incredibly obvious from mm -hmm. the very opening sequence when you first see him on screen, everybody else in that room is a white person. And the way that they introduce him is just like blood everywhere. And then they all just like step back because there is a black dude who has walked up in this place and everybody is like, oh, oh, like, what is this? My favorite line of that entire movie is when he looks directly at Deacon Frost's mouth and says, your mascara is running. That line sums up the whole of what you're talking about. The differences between the regular version of the aristocracy who is required to wear SPF 8,000 <laughs> just to step outside and Blade, who was literally like, I'm not getting in a tanning bed because I don't need to. And so they do talk about the fact that he has weaknesses. He ages like a normal human person and he won't live as long as they do, but he still has all of their strengths and all that kind of stuff. Aside from the fact that, like you said, he 
won't eat people unless he absolutely has to. You know, the black woman, I still, there needs to be, someone needs to do a very deep dive of the sequencing between him and that black woman and how the very first person that he ate as an adult was the black woman and she invited him to because they had no choice. Like they had no choice. Mm -hmm. Had she not done what she did, they would have all died. And so, you know, I'm just like, here we are again, black people, black women putting themselves on the line, literally. She opened up herself as a chicken meal. So that way the whole planet could be saved from certain doom. This is a man who knows that he has been othered in every way in this world. And rather than taking it as a negative, as the way that they usually do things like this, he took, I mean, that's literally what my research is about. I have this thing I call Afrophantasm, which is basically how Black disabled people turn invisible in their own communities. And you can use it as a positive by reframing the argument of what makes you different and turn it into a weapon. That is Blade in every sense of the word. He is the embodiment of everything I just said. Cause like he basically is the guy who was just like, yes, I know I am not like any of you and I'm fine with it. In fact, I, that, I will be the reason why I end you. This will be the reason why you die because you othered me like this. And so I just wish that there were more. I need more stories that talk about the othering in a way that isn't negative, you know? I'm you know. still stuck on Blade being the black vampire that of course is a day walker, right? Like it's the black person that can walk in sunlight and the white vampires can't. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, no, we get crisp. <laughs> That's the fact, like I said, when he said his, the, your mascara is running, when I tell you I hollered in the theater and people was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I don't understand. It's a black skin, dark person that like just, Ooh, it just resonates with me in my spirit. The ancestors call for that line. <laughs> well, especially because like the when these vampires are presented, they're supposed to be like powerful. They're supposed to be able to defend themselves. But in most of these iterations, they can't fight worth their lives. But they got enough wealth and they got enough privilege to have other people fight for them. Mm. Like in Underworld, you had Lycans who were slaves. Like, and I'm still mad because the best Lycan, the Black dude whose name I can't remember right now, who had the really deep voice that I'm in love with, was out here being a slave. I'm still mad. But like the aristocracy knew they couldn't fight. They were out here trying to use swords. They still can't use guns. They had underworld out here with vampires using guns. You are a vampire, sir. <laughs> in the book series Vampire Academy, which if they had enough funding for their movie series, they would have eaten Twilight alive, but that's a different story. They had an aristocracy with like the whole theme was family bloodlines and you know your family would be next in line for the throne your family would be next in line for the throne and having vampire bodyguards these half-blood vampires you know half vampire half humans who were there to protect the pure blood vampires yes <laughs> yes what she's guessing at is drc's what the fuck face the, the, what the I fuck? just want to let you know that the, the stairs in bigotry face. Like, what do you mean? <laughs> exactly. Like that, that was the whole thing. Like you have these bougie, pure blood people who need to be protected by half-bloods because they're the ones that are quote unquote stronger. Like something about the their human blood and vampire parts make them stronger. They're trained to protect the pure bloods. The pure bloods literally. They're like the avatar out here. They can use one of the four elements from the four nations, but they ain't out here in training classes to protect themselves. Like, no, you expect the half-bloods to protect you and your and to protect your royal family's line to be next for the throne, who's controlling all these other vampires and how you enter the world. For for what? And I remember you mentioned cattle earlier. Their relationship with humans is literally humans volunteering to be like feeders. Like they're called feeders. Like if I remember correctly, what do mm -hmm. they call Fang bangers? Yup, fang bangers. That's, that's what they oh called them in True Blood. And in Blade, they were familiars. Mm -hmm. You know, these human people who were literally branded with icons on the back of their necks because they were just like, you know, I haven't been turned yet, but... I'm hoping to be, because you want that all elusive promise of eternal life. You want that health, you want that wealth, you want them riches, you want a party for all eternity and or be a serial killer for all eternity, whichever floats your boat. I'm literally just trying to think about, okay, if you are a black familiar, which 
I have never seen. There was that one guy in Blade Trinity, I think, who, if I remember correctly, they, they were trying to get in the lab when they found out they had humans like literally just in body bags being ready to be drained of blood. But he was like, if I tell you, I'll kill you. And this was my favorite line. He was like, motherfucker, I'll kill you. I'll just enjoy it more. <laughs> that was my favorite line. But yeah, yeah one mean, singular just, black familiar because the I rest remember, of us yeah, in the first blade, when he comes through the after they didn't kill Whistler, supposedly, he he gets mad as hell and just literally comes through the front door killing everybody. Like that whole sequence ends with him with the waterfall and the, the black dude that was like, please don't. He's like, I just work for them. And just Blade just pulls out a shotgun and shoots him in the face. And I'm just kind of like, you thought your blackness was going to save you? Like, <laughs> there may be few of us, but he don't care. He'll, He'll shoot you anyway. Anything, it'll make him shoot you twice. <laughs> You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me, in some ways, the end of Django, actually, when Jamie Foxx was pulling up against Samuel Jackson's character. Because he was like, these ladies can go. You, however, have actively volunteered your services to hold this bullshit up. You are a different story, which I also think is interesting. Because, again, we're talking about Black vampires, the aristocracy, and all of that. Part of it, I feel like when it comes to people of color, especially if you are volunteering with the idea to be a part of vampire society, you are volunteering in the way we think about vampires right now. You are volunteering to hang out with all these wealthy white folks who you know were white folks for all eternity. Yep. <laughs> I'm like, they started on that racism before racism had the word. <laughs> Not only... Am I going to have to be subservient to one of y'all just because that's the way your training process works? Once I'm done with my apprenticeship, I got to deal with all your politics. I got to deal with this. I got to deal with that. I might as well kept my job at Kinko's. That was the whole, that was the whole thing I was thinking about because I like that's why I kept thinking like Candace Owens, Omarosa Manigal. Like these were people who would be black familiars if they were real people like Van Jones. Like these would be people who would literally go sit up in the vampire castle with the brand on the back waiting for their chance to be turned. And to your point, it's like you didn't seem to forgot that if they turn you and do their side of the bargain, you're still black. Like you're a vampire, but you're still black. You still got to go through all their levels of crap. And, and mind you, the key word there was if, because a lot of these exactly. vampires out here will use you Absolutely. for whatever use that you had and then get rid of you, either right. by eating you or just killing you. Lisa Rice, they will have her go right up in the Oval Office and be like, yes, Mr. President, like we need you to do X, Y, and Z. I need you to pass this legislation and make it Vampire Day like legal so that NASA can block out the sun for one whole week. And then he gonna be like, okay, I can see the, the logic in that. I'll go ahead and sign this paperwork. Thank you, Mr. President. And the moment it gets signed, they're gonna be like, kill her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's the thing that I find interesting because if they do this, you're still black, which I think is like the also kind of hidden advantages of vampirism, you know? Oh, great, you've been bitten. Now you're a vampire. It means you no longer have to worry about hunger. You no longer have to worry about money. Okay, if you were poor before, you're not anymore. If you had pustules all over your face great you're suddenly cured you know if you didn't have access to anything before you now have that it's like all of your problems will go away for the low low price of your soul except <laughs> there's also the question of disability like they've also shown that when vampire mm. shows if someone has any disability of some sort you're a vampire boom it's cured it's done you can be I a mean, productive member of vampire society now that was why I was so shooketh in uh, Interview with a Vampire with Kirsten Dunst's character. My God, they always talk about when they turn people, you are generally a full grown adult, but like there are ramifications. I remember Antonio Banderas, like his character in the movie talking about how much they wanted children. So they turned Kirsten Dunst when she was what, eight? Mm -hmm. And like in that movie, she's a vampire little girl forever and she's the worst of them all like she doesn't have morals she doesn't understand the concept of like the aristocracy says if you kill someone you gotta get it approved like she don't understand that she ain't and she's perfectly fine with it i mean this is also why brad pitt was like no we gotta kill her they made that illegal in twilight 
Like they had the quote unquote immortal children where people were making children because they wanted them. But as any other child, as any other toddler, they go make a mess. They were out here burning villages, just like running around killing people. And the Valtteri was like, nah, we, we can't, we can't do this no more. Like, but it's also still weird how when you see some of these vampires turned, some of them aren't in like their full adult adult form, right? Some of them were turned at like 18 or over. And it's like, do they still develop after that? Do they still have these ideas of like wanting a full-fledged life, wanting that family? It comes up, but it's still like, where, where's your head at? Maybe that's why everyone wants to rave all the time because they were turned at 18 and all they want to do is party. Also, you're thinking about like just in human development, your brain doesn't completely fuse to about 25. Exactly. Your prefrontal cortex, I'm going to get a little heady over here. Cortex. Like your, your cortex, your decision-making process isn't fully developed. You're not making the good choices that you could be making. Sometimes you would still make fucked up choices even after that's developed. But still, it's not fully there. So you still got vampires acting like fools because they aren't fully developed. And that's probably why they have the old ass vampires in charge of everyone because they have the wisdom and they have the luxury to boss people around because they old, old, like they returned when they were old. Like if we're thinking underworld, they have elders like in charge of them who were definitely turned when they were in their full adulthood, maybe even as an old guy. This is actually a good pivot because I feel like when it comes to the way we think of modern vampires who can be romantic heroes and that's just like how they're framed. Usually they find that one human who makes me want to reclaim my humanity. It's okay. It's okay. (laughs) You can't say it without saying it the way. (laughs) It's okay. You can't just be like, sookie, sookie. No, no, you gotta say it right. And it always has to be two vampires after the same person right? Like the one brooding vampire. So in this case, um, that would be Bill after Sookie or the one who doesn't like care about anything, which would be Eric after Sookie. Yes, in Vampire Eric. Diaries, Stefan after Elena, she's the one who heals his tortured soul. Or is it Damon after Elena, the one who doesn't give a flying fuck and still wants Elena? In Twilight, there's Edward and Jacob. Oh, in Buffy, there's Angel and Spike. Somehow people find these women, whether they're considered strong women or if they're not particularly the best female representation character, staring at you, Bella, where there's these two vampire men or two mythical men in some fashion needing to be saved, needing to have this person as the light to their darkness so that they can feel like they can be good again. But I'm like, this light to your darkness is a teenager. Yes. Well, we'll it's just- always, unless, I mean, like, how old was Sophie actually? Like it was grown. early 20s grown. at best. Yeah, okay. he was grown. Speaking of which, here's my big question. Are all vampires project boyfriends and why do we sign up to read this foolishness? <laughs> the answer is yes. And then the second answer is, this is why you don't see the black women trying to do this out here. <laughs> Look, Akasha came through. She tried. Akasha came through and was like, I'm not doing this. Either submit or die. Yup. Like, and that's the energy we that's the energy we stand. She was like, we're not doing this. Save it for Oprah. It, like either you will come to the table fully formed or do not come at all. And that's and, what also kills me. Like how you live long enough that you should not be a project at this point. If you have decided that you were going to make this turn from being like full vampire, I don't give a fuck, to all of a sudden have a soul or whatever, and you've been doing this for 50 some odd years, there are some techniques and some things you should have figured out about yourself. And also all vampires need therapy. We're the vampire therapists. I think about this all the time. Because you you look at these movies and a lot of these vampires have been traumatized in some fashion. Like, like you if we're thinking daddy issues, you still got your mommy issues, and then you have your second daddy who made you or you not the your creator issues. Like like Eric and Godric in True Blood. So where are these yeah. vampire therapists who have lived long enough to know a few things, who've gone through the different stages of the therapy also and things we don't use anymore? staring at you lobotomies like where are they where are they taking care of vampire mental health or are they too privileged to recognize that they have mental health concerns in vampire in the video game jonathan reads like he i mean she becomes the love interest but she's also kind of his therapist 
is Lady Ashbury. And like, it's this woman who literally was like, I have been around for a millennia. I know a thing or two. So she was like, I only feed on the dying. That works for me because while I may not eat for a month or two, I can ration out myself in a way that the people that I feed on are already dying. You know, it's like waste not want night kind of thing. And her system works well. Like nobody knows that she's a vampire. She has kept that shit under wraps for centuries and it works really well. But I also feel like that's a level of restraint and wisdom that most vampires do not ascribe to. And so yeah, you trying to tell me I gotta wait to eat? Like what? How to give a vampire to get, you know, instant ramen, instant food, <laughs> instant this, instant that. But now you telling me that I gotta wait? I told you. It's like Soldier Boy on the Breakfast Club. Wait! Like, haven't you lived long enough to have any sort of patience? You 500 years old! You would think. This is very reminiscent to the book trilogy, The Magicians. Mm -hmm. Because their argument that they make in this series, in the world, is that magic comes from pain. It's dark, but but they it makes a really interesting argument. I remember the end of the first book is so crazy because the main character gets everything he wants. He becomes a magician and he gets everything he wants and literally is miserable. And that is the way that the book ends because their argument is when you have everything as a magician, when you can do whatever you want, he can conjure whatever he wants. He's a hedge fund manager like making billions of dollars, literally sitting playing ping pong on his computer. You, money, you don't need money. You got magic. You know, wealth, you don't need wealth. You can make whatever you want. You can conjure an entirely different reality if you don't like the one that you're in right now. And so he literally was like, I don't know what the purpose of this life is. And that is why the second book is like, they end up going to another land because the current reality that he is in there's nothing left if you have no wishes and have no desires it's very profound but it's also it's so sad I mean I literally was thinking about the fact of like you know if you don't have any problems what what do you do apparently find a teenager to find your soul yep yep And most of the time, the teenager is possibly boring, possibly has no interesting aspect of their life. Has no ambition, has seemingly never filled out a scholarship application, or, you know, is not even on the debate team. Like, like luckily with Buffy, she was a slayer. Like, she was doing all the stuff in school. With she Bella, had a job, unlike right. She had aspirations. Bella, her life ended up revolving around Edward. Elena was still grieving the death of her parents. Like she was literally in the middle of her grief when Stefan walked into her life. So you just want to be tortured together? Are you trauma bonding? Is this what's happening? Looking I with, think I mean, is, but... She was at a job. She had a wait. She was a waitress in a mm-hmm. small town. She was, I think she was reasonably satisfied with her life before Bill. But she could read people's minds and that caused a struggle for herself. And when she that met is. Bill, she was like, ooh, a mind I can't read. I can finally just take a breath. Which is like an inverse of like the way we usually put like the mystical person and the normal person together, mm-hmm. which is which I think is interesting. But yeah, so in summary, vampires are wealthy project boyfriends who need teenagers to save them, save when they have their own issues, which make them rejects from vampire society, and then sometimes they become the heroes of the underrepresented. Is that our thesis statement? And we need black vampires. And we need to black vampires. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. I think that's that that's a good summary. <laughs> okay. All right, y'all. Well, this has been a fun conversation. Please let the people know where they can find you, social medias, and also upcoming projects. And you're gonna be hearing about this great book that's already out that you can buy, but spoiler. Anya, why don't you go first? <laughs> okay. I do have a book of poetry called Retrograde. So if you're interested in poetry, if you're interested in anything related to astrology, then hop on Barnes and Noble and find my book. It's Retrograde by Anye, A-N-J-E. A reminder, I'm a Black author, so support your fellow Black authors. Find me on Instagram as wildflower underscore dreamer. You can find me on Twitter as reckless poetess. Pretty sure. Oh, you can find me on TikTok as Flexi 
F-L-E-X-I, which. Awesome, thanks. And our favorite doctoral student, DRC, <laughs> what you got to say for yourself? No, I don't have a, a book yet. I do yes. have some forthcoming publications. One is due out pretty soon this year about cultural competence and disability, but it's, yeah, it hasn't come out yet. Uh, it's with Dr. Joy Banks. I also have uh, a forthcoming publication about Storm as a Black Disabled Woman. So I was invited to do a chapter on cultural critiques of the X-Men, which Ooh. will be out at University of Mississippi Press early next year. And so I'm really excited about that. That was really nice. But yeah, if people want to find me, I am on Twitter and you can find me at DRC and then Sherrington, like chair, C-H-A-I-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. Uh, and yeah, that's primarily the way that I talk to people in the public. So it was great to be here. It was great having you both. Such a fun conversation. So insightful on so many levels. So this is the type of conversation that I love having on the show. And so everyone, I hope you have a great day and please join us next time on Introspectional.